0: Well, good morning everyone and welcome to Waterfront Church. Uh, it's so great it's so great to be here with you and uh, I do have a special guest with here with us here today uh, and that is one of our little camera operators. All right, uh, Josiah, if you don't mind going to the camera over there. There we go. That is my good friend, Lulu Randalls, our daughter Lulu. Lulu, can you wave real quick? There we go. Uh, Lulu is there running that camera. Thank you so much, Lulu, for taking care of us. And uh, uh, Josiah, thanks for making a spot for her to do that as well. Uh, just a, a very proud day as a parent uh, uh, when your child gets to come and help with something like this. So, Lulu, thanks for being here. Josiah, thanks for making that happen too. Hey, uh, hey, uh, I'm telling you, we're coming to you now. A week after Easter, and uh, it was a little weird. I'm not going to lie to you. There was few things sadder than being a pastor with no place to preach on Easter. It was definitely a uh, it was definitely a, a strange experience. And uh, I sent this out in the churchwide email, but uh, I kind of got emotional and uh, spent some times. I just started crying. I couldn't believe. It that it was Easter Sunday morning and uh, wasn't gathered together with a group of believers uh, physically celebrating uh, the resurrection. But I'll tell you what, uh, I found solace. Autumn was wonderful to me. My kids were wonderful. uh, But the Lord was the one who brought the light back to my eyes and reminded me that the resurrection is true every day uh, and that uh, uh, he is the one that we have to go to uh, for our strength and for our purpose. And so uh, anyway, I wondered if some of you might have had the same experience, but it was just, uh, it was very powerful. Uh, to go through that. And so I'm glad we got to do it together. We did worship together. Uh, we did celebrate the resurrection together. It just looked a little bit different. If you got your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43, and then we're going to start in verse 1. We are back into our story of Joseph. And uh, again, uh, this was not meant to be a Corona-centric message, a coronavirus-centric message, but it is going to have a few of those overtones. It starts off with this question. Have you ever felt out of control before? (laughs) Right? Have you ever felt out of control? Some of you are like, yes, right now, all the time. If that's you, uh, then this is one of the messages for you. So uh, this feeling of being out of control, I think, could best be described uh, as something that happened to my family at the Mall of America. And so uh, some of you remember this, but uh, the last Final Four that was played uh, was uh, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, it was played by the, uh, uh, the team from University of Virginia and then also with the Texas Tech Red Raiders uh, there for the finals. And so uh, I'll never forget, this is great. So we're going to Minneapolis, and Autumn, my wife, says, I'm going to get to check something off my bucket list that I've always wanted to do. And I said, what's that? And she said, I've always wanted to go to the Mall of America and to ride a roller coaster. That's what she wanted to do. Since she was a little kid, she had watched videos about the Mall of America and wanted to go ride the roller coaster there. So all that to say, uh, we uh, go to the Mall of America, we're set up to ride this roller coaster, and one of the ones that I got to ride with our kids was called the Fairly Odd Coaster. It was based after a show on Nickelodeon called Fairly Odd Parents uh, that, uh, anyway, this coaster was built. So uh, all that to say, I was trying to get our son Jack to ride the roller coaster with us. And so as many of you know, uh, Jack has got autism, and so for Jack, there is no filter, all right? Joy is unhindered, amazing joy. Fear, sadly, is unhindered, amazing, crazy fear. Uh, and then sometimes, again, all the other emotions in between, it just is done without a filter. So I told Jack, I said, if you'll ride this roller coaster with me, I want you to face your fear. Ride this roller coaster with me. Uh, and if you'll do that, I said, what we'll do is we'll, there's a Lego store right across the way. You will earn Legos. Yes, I bribed my children. Don't judge me. All right. So anyway, we get this roller coaster, we get set up, and the way the roller coaster is set there are two seats on one side that face two seats on the other side and from the ground it doesn't look like it moves very fast but I can promise you once we got up there and we're strapped in you were out of control and so Lulu and I are sitting on one side Jack and Harper, or excuse me, Harper and I are sitting on one side. Lulu and Jack are sitting on the other. And then all of a sudden, that bar comes down to strap us into place. We're buckled in. And then the person starting the ride says, Are you ready? Let's go and then all of a sudden the ride starts and Jack's face was priceless. Jack's face was exactly how all of us feel when we feel out of control. All of a sudden he gripped the sides and he looked at me as the coaster began to roll. All of it was so it was just a, a wonderful experience, but Jack is gripping and going ha! Ah! And he kept looking around like can one of you do something about this? But it was like nobody. We just are along for the ride right now. We got to ride this thing out until it's done. Ah! And then finally, when it gets done, he's the first one off the coaster standing on solid ground. He said, where are my Legos? I mean, that was his response after we finally got done with it. I'll tell you a story to say this. Some of you are going through a stretch right now where you feel out of control. There is nothing that Jack could do to stop the roller coaster. Now, here's what's crazy. After it was done... All he could talk about was how excited he was that we had finished. In fact, Lulu's my witness. We kept going around, and we'd say, Hey, Jack, did you ride that roller coaster? He'd grin ear to ear, and he'd go, Yes. And then we'd say, Good, you're a champion. That was just kind of one of the funny things our family would do. When you feel out of control, there's nothing you can do about it except ride. Sometimes it can feel like you have absolutely no, nothing that you can do in the circumstance. And the first thing uh, that our little minds want to turn to is to find out who to blame. <laughs> when something is out of our control, we want to find out who's to blame. And that's the same thing that happens in Genesis chapter 43. Look at verses 1 through 7 as we start. Remember, Joseph uh, is uh, in Egypt. He's the second in command over all the land. Uh, And while Joseph is in Egypt, all of a sudden, his brothers show up, the same ones that had sold him into slavery decades before. His brothers show up. They bow before him. They don't realize that it's him. Joseph is going through all these different emotions. It's about to be the family reunion of the ages coming up in the next few chapters. But the brothers are scared to death because they don't realize that God is doing something special. So look at what happens. So they go back. They've left their brother Simeon there uh, as a hostage, basically, uh, so that uh, and they have to go back and get him, but they have to bring their little brother Benjamin, but he's the father's favorite at this point, uh, and uh, Jacob does not want to send his son Benjamin out there uh, to have the same fate that he thinks Joseph has had to be killed. Look at what it says in Genesis 43. So again, all this is beyond their control. It says, now the famine was still severe in the lands. Underline and highlight the, the famine was still severe. Famine is not just symbolic, but literally here, a time of need uh, where they don't have anything to eat. And so again, that circumstance is completely beyond their control. It says in verse 2, So they had eaten all the grain that they had brought from Egypt. Their father said to them, Go back and buy some more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us, Talking about Joseph, but he doesn't know it's Joseph. The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down to buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel, that's Jacob, asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? Notice he's trying to point the finger of blame here. They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We Simply answer his questions. How are we supposed to know? He would say, Bring your brother down here. Now stop for just a minute. We know it's because Joseph is their brother and Jacob's son. That's the reason that he's asked those questions. But on the outside, they're going, Jacob goes, oh, why? why did they give you the third degree on this? Why did you even tell him that you had another brother? Why didn't you just keep your mouth shut? What Jacob's trying to do here is point the finger of blame at his sons so that then he doesn't have to deal with the problem at hand. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. We do the same thing. When we feel out of control, we waste time in many cases trying to figure out who's to blame for the circumstance we're in, when the truth is the famine is not getting any better. At this point, there is still a famine. They're still out of food. And I love this because it says that Jacob, knowing that truth that he was going to have to let go of Benjamin and trust him to the brothers so that they could get more food, it was a problem that Jacob put off and he was still playing the blame game. Now, there's some of you right now who are going through that in your own life. There are things in your household, things in your work situation, things in your family situation that desperately need you to focus on the solution and not on the blame. If you're taking notes, write this down. Vigorously finding a place for blame often delays a solution to the problem. Let me say that again. Vigorously finding a place for the blame often delays a solution to the problem. Best example I can give of that to you. It's the other day, Autumn and I walked into the kitchen and someone, one of our four children, had shattered or the we have four fish, I mean they might have done it, all right? And one of the kids of the four four kids or four fish have shattered a glass bowl in the middle of the kitchen. Now remember, we've got kids aged from 10 to 2, okay? So shattered glass in the kitchen is a real problem. If Zeke, our two-year-old, gets into that and cuts himself, uh, then it's a really bad situation. But here's what Autumn and I did. Again, coronavirus, uh, uh, coronavirus containment makes you a little crazy. We all of a sudden walk up and we go, who did this? Who did this? Who is to blame for the shattered bowl here in the middle of the kitchen? And I'm telling you, we are trying to figure it out, and we're asking questions, and the baby is getting closer and closer to the kitchen. Finally, Autumn stops, and she goes, we can handle this interrogation later to figure out who is to blame. She goes, we probably should just clean up the glass shards in the kitchen, and then we can go back and do the interrogation. Just for the record, the same is true for you why does Jacob put it off? Why is he playing the blame game? Because he's so frustrated by the circumstances that he's in, that life is out of his control, that he has even given up the ability to do the things that he can control in this circumstance. He can entrust Benjamin to the sons and he can get more food so that they can stay alive. Instead, He's just trapped in the blame game. Vigorously finding a place for blame often delays finding a solution to the problem. There are some of you watching this today, and I'm saying this to you as your pastor. There are several areas in your life that God is wanting to bring closure and completion to. But you've been playing the blame game for so long. There will be time that the Lord helps you to do the investigation There'll be time for the criticism and the critical nature of looking at things. But for now, if there are shards of glass in your kitchen and you have the ability to clean them up, clean them up. Pick them up so nobody else gets hurt in this process. What's beautiful about the end of Genesis 43 is Jacob, even as an old man, finally grows up. He finally makes the decision to stop playing the blame game and to move forward and find a solution to the problem. Even in a situation you feel like you can't control, there are still certain things that God would have you to do. If you're taking notes, our million-dollar question is this today. What can we do when the world is out of control? What can we do when our world is out of control. There are some of you who feel that way so deeply and desperately right now. If that's you, this is a great lesson to take notes on. If uh, you're in the circumstance where you're doing pretty good right now, I can tell you for me personally, I was doing great last week and then on Sunday, this tidal wave of uncontrol uh, of, of this uh, feeling that everything was out of control hit me on that Easter Sunday morning and these principles I'm about to walk you through are the same ones that the Lord really used to comfort my heart as well. What can we do when our work is out of control look now at genesis chapter 43 and let's look at verses 8 through 10 he's played the blame game and then all of a sudden judah steps up and judah says something powerful to his father look at what it says then judah said to israel his father that's to jacob send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. Now that so that sentence there is kind of written awkwardly and it's meant to read awkwardly at the same time. The idea is he's saying this is affecting all of us. You playing the blame game. You not wanting to offer up Benjamin to come with us and help us. Uh, it's causing all of us problems. He says, "Look, trust him to me." Look at what he says, verse nine. I myself will guarantee his safety. Underline. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold. Hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life as, if, uh, as it is if we had not delayed... We could have gone and returned twice by now. Stop right there for just a minute. Playing the blame game has consumed Jacob's life so much, Judah comes in at the end and says, we could have gone, gotten grain, and brought it back here twice by now because you've been delaying this situation. I love this passage because what we find here is Judah stepping up and saying, I will take the blame. Now, some of you would say, what about when Reuben talks about that at the end of chapter 42? Reuben has said, I'll put the blame on my kids. Judah has stepped up and said, I will personally be responsible for this young man. Judah needs food, just like Jacob. But Judah has chosen to step up and to do something on behalf of someone else. If you're taking notes, what can we do when our world is out of control? Number one, we can do something for someone else. Let me say that again. We can do something for someone else. There are some of you right now that feel so confined that you feel so out of control and you're wondering, what is it that I could truly do? Stop viewing it through the lens of just you. View it through the lens of what you could do for someone else. The old... The old uh, speech from John F. Kennedy is the one that rang in my ears at the inauguration when he says, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country in the midst of that tumultuous time. It's true right here in this passage of scripture as well. When Judah is sitting there going, oh, why won't dad get past this? Why won't he just let go of Benjamin? All of a sudden he steps up and says, it's beyond my control. I cannot make him let go of Benjamin. I cannot make him save our family. What I can do is step up and say, I'll take his place if you'll trust him to me if something goes wrong it is not your fault if something goes wrong it will be on me if you're taking notes write this down selfishness furthers our fear while selflessness fuels our faith there are some of you right now who have sunk in, who have sunken into the pits of darkness You've sunk into the pits of despair. And I'm telling you, you're sitting there going, the world's falling apart. Everything's so scary. It just doesn't seem like any of these rules or these plans make sense. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. You can start by looking around and instead of going, me, 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 start to look out with the eyes of Almighty God. What can I do for somebody else? Is there something, even though I feel like my life is out of control? Is there something I can do to help someone else? One of my favorite movies, or excuse me, my favorite plays of all time is a play called Le Miserable. If you've ever seen Le Miserable, just an unbelievable uh, musical. In Le Miserable, and you can see this in the movie version as well, it's right at the very, very beginning, but the scene with the priest and Jean Valjean, the main character, Jean Valjean has lived a tough life. He's been in prison. In fact, the whole, uh, the whole show starts with Valjean in prison. He's freakishly strong, and so again, he's got great physical strength, but he's gotten in trouble because he does things that aren't quite above board. In fact, you uh, find out about his character. He's so strong, he has stolen bread that got him in prison, but he's been in there longer because he always tries to run away and get away. After he gets out of prison, he needs a break, So he goes in, finds a priest, and he sits down with the priest to have dinner. It's this beautiful, beautiful scene. And when he sits down with the priest, he can't help himself. He's not only hungry, he's in desperate need of a new life. And he falls into an old pattern, and he steals the silver out of the priest's cabinet and runs away. Well, not long after that, Valjean is caught and brought back by the police to the priest's house so they can identify him and return the silver. Now here's what's interesting. In that moment, the priest has a life that's out of control. Things have been stolen from him. Someone who he had had in his house has stolen the silver from him. But Jean Valjean's life is out of control as well. He's about to go back to prison, most likely for the rest of his life. And in that moment, the priest cannot control that those items had been stolen from him. But he can help Valjean. The police officers look at him and say, is this the man that ate with you? And the priest says so beautifully, yes, but surely something slipped your mind. He says, friend, you forgot I gave these also. And then he grabs a huge ton of silver and hands it and said, would you leave the best behind? And then he says, "Messieurs, would you release him? And all of a sudden, the police officers look like we caught him red-handed. It's your stuff. But if you won't press charges, we'll let it go. And all of a sudden, it's Valjean and the priest. And Valjean is looking at him like, why would you do this for me? I caused your world to be out of control. Why would you do this for me? And then do you remember the words of the priest? He looks at him and says, son... I have bought your soul for God. It's in that moment that it causes Valjean to question everything. Why would this man do this for me? Why would he love me to the point of doing this when he didn't have to? We live in a world right now that is so out of control. When we take what limited control we have and we put it towards someone else in the name Jesus Christ, it could cause their entire world to change. It could cause their entire world to just tumble and go, whoa, what have I been doing with my life? This is actually a time when the focus on Jesus Christ, the spotlight could be brighter than any other time in history globally. What can we do for someone else? We can all do something. By the way, it begs this question. Are you personally invested in the solution or the criticism Are you personally invested in the solution or the criticism? Now, there's somebody that would say, Zach, are you trying to make some kind of statement here to us? No, I'm trying to set you free if you listen. It's not that you need to just turn a blind eye and be an ostrich sticking your head in the sand to the things that need critical attention. But if that's all you're spending your time on when there is a pile of glass in your kitchen, take the time to clean it up. Take the time to find a solution. And when we do that, then there will be time later to go back and to look at something critically. But let's make sure that we do what we can during this day so that someone else is not hurt. If we can help someone else not get cut on the glass, let's figure out a way to do that. Now look at what happens next. Look at Genesis 43. And let's look at verses 11 through 13. Judah has said, Father, I will do this for you. I will do this for our family. I will do this for my brothers. Trust the boy to me. Verse 11 says this. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them to the man as a gift. Underline as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver that is with you And you must must return the silver that was in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother and go back to the man at once. Now stop right there for just a minute. For those of you who've been with us a long time for this story, in the story of Jacob and Esau, the man who's speaking in this passage and his brother Esau, there's another moment when Jacob feels like his world is completely out of control. And you know what Jacob does? He prepares a set of gifts for his brother Esau before they find finally have a meeting Jacob has not been a kind in his dealings with his brother and he presents him with these gifts as an opportunity to show him in good faith that this is a positive meeting and not a negative meeting Jacob goes back and after realizing the blame game is not doing any good Jacob comes back and he goes you know what we have a famine in the land but there are still some things that we have that we can share with others. If you're taking notes, write this down. What can we do when our world is out of control? Number one, we can do something for someone else. And number two, we can give something to someone else. We can give something to someone else. Even in the midst of the famine, even in the midst of them not having grain and a way for their family to sustain themselves and eat. He says, you know what? If you're going to go, <sighs> Judah, take Benjamin, and also, we've still got a little bomb. We've still got a little honey. We've still got some spices, some myrrh, some pistachio nuts, and some almonds. He says, take some things from our land so that we can give away what little it is that we have. Sometimes we can become so selfish when we feel like our world is out of control. We go, God, I've got nothing. God, I've got nothing. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I have. And the Lord's sitting there scratching his head and going, what are you talking about? How are you alive at this point? Every person from the highest to the low in the United States has got something that we can share, has got something that we can give away. And when we choose, instead of hoarding it for ourselves, to share it with someone else, you would be surprised again at the spotlight that goes on Jesus Christ in that moment. To share in a time of famine, even if it's next to nothing that we have, To share in a time of famine is a very powerful thing to do. If you're taking notes, write this down. Even in times of famine, there are still blessings to share. Even in times of famine, there are still blessings to share. I'll give you an example of this. So back in the day, had an aunt and uncle living in Oklahoma City. And when the bombing of the federal building took place, just an awful, awful situation. When the bombing of the federal building took place, Everyone in Oklahoma City and really the the whole state of Oklahoma was looking for some way that they could help in the midst of an unthinkable scenario. So many people killed, so many people hurt, and again, there was a hole in the side of the building where they were trying to figure out who in the world could have orchestrated such an awful, awful circumstance. All of a sudden, my aunt calls us. She said, we figured out something we can do she and my uncle were certified massage therapists. My uncle sold insurance, really, really kind and wonderful man, he was one of my dad's very best friends in the whole world, Uncle Bruce. Uncle Bruce and my Aunt Nancy suited up, went down by the federal building, and what they offered is they set up a tent, and a group that they were with offered massages to the fire workers and to the EMT, to the uh, the emergency uh, employees that were coming out there to work on the site. You know, we don't have everything, but God has given you something. Have you ever looked at the storehouses in your house or at your work and honestly looked at it from the perspective of what could I give away? I'm not talking about Marie Kondo, all right? I'm not talking about what is it I could clear space for so that I have a more zen environment, all right? I'm talking about what do you have that's useful that somebody else could really use right now? What do you have that's useful that somebody else could really take and it could bless them? Sometimes it's stuff, sometimes it's resources, sometimes it's a skill, like my aunt massage therapy, sometimes it's actually money. There's some of you in this time who've been good with your finances, and here's the deal, I'm not asking you to make a foolish decision, but there are people around you who are desperately in need And maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to help. Crazy story happened at the end of last month. I've got a dear friend who um, had watched our live stream here at the church. And uh, because we started faster than a bunch of these churches that were down south, Um, he messaged me and just said, hey, I just wanted to give you some encouragement. He said, we worked on the live stream this week, and he said, a lot of the things that you're implementing are things that we're trying to implement as a church too. And so I called him back, said, man, this is great. I appreciate the time. And then I just said this. I, I don't usually say things like this, but I said, hey, tell me something good. Tell me something good that's going on with you and going on with your team. And then all of a sudden, my friend, this is the last day of the month, he blurts out, the Lord provided, and we made payroll today. I said, it's the last day of the month. I said, you didn't have reserve? And he goes, we did. He goes, but we were hit really, really hard. I said, so you just made payroll today? He said, yep. He said, but God is good, isn't he? He wasn't asking for anything. He was sharing a blessing. It's at that point I stopped. And I said, bro, how much you need to make payroll in the middle of the month. This would have been yesterday. I said, how much do you need to make payroll at the end of the month? And he goes, nothing, man. He goes, I didn't call you for this. I said, let me know. I said, what do you need? Now here's the side on that story. So we had an amount that we were praying for, for our budget, that we were praying that God would help us to hit. And I'm here to tell you, the Lord blessed, and on top of that amount, on top of what God blessed, on that day that I was talking to my friend, we had just a little bit more than we had prayed for that God had provided. We've been lean and mean with our finances out here at Waterfront. So I'm talking to my friend and I said, how much? And I threw out an amount that was low. He said, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. I said, you're lying to me. I said, how much for real? He tells me the amount, no joke. It was within $70 of what we had taken in over what we had prayed for. Within $70 on a $1.2 million budget we have here at the church. I stopped and I said, I'm gonna call our board, but I said, I think we can do it. I said, we wanna give you the money so that you can make payroll at the middle of next month. He said, you can't do that. I said, yeah, we can. God gave it and we can do it. It turns out, there's another side to that story too. It turns out that the reason we were over by that amount was because we had a church member whose father had passed away, and that was the tithe that was given off of the inheritance money that had come in. I called that family afterwards and said, you're not gonna believe this, but this is where the money went. And they said, that is exactly what dad would have wanted. Now listen, this last week, This pastor ended up telling his church last Sunday, we have gotten a stack of thank you notes. I feel like maybe every person in their church wrote us a thank you note this last week. 20, 30 families writing thank you notes saying that they were so grateful for what God had done. Am I telling you we have a ton of money to give away? No, we do not. Do not call me, all right? What I'm telling you is God gave just enough so that not only we could be taken care of, but in this time that we feel deeply out of control, our goal as a church is not to look at how can we hoard the storehouses, how can we protect what we've got, but how we can look at how we can help others. Again, that crazy quote by John F. Kennedy, not what we can do for ourselves, but what we can do for the world around us. The church exists that we might be blessed so that we could bless others at the same time. When's the last time you truly gave something away that was of value to you? By the way, save your spot here. Jesus illustrates this for us when he feeds the the 5,000. Look at Luke chapter 9. Let's jump into Luke chapter 9, and then we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. In Luke chapter 9, we see this process on full display. Here's what it says. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place out here. Look at what Jesus says here. I love this. He replied, you give them something to eat. Now stop there for just a minute. There are five to 15,000 people out there on that mountainside, and the first response of the Son of God is you do something about it. You do something about it. You give them something to eat. I love that he starts off this passage that way. The greatest miracle next to the resurrection of all time, so much so that other than the resurrection, this is the only miracle recorded by all four gospel writers. In this passage, Jesus comes up and says to a group of disciples, seeing need in front of them, you do something about it. You have something that you can give to them. And the disciples the disciples scratch their head and they go, we can't fix the whole problem. We can't feed all of them. We can barely feed ourselves at this point, Jesus, and Jesus still has the power in his, and authority in his teaching to say, there is something you can do. When you feel like everything is out of control, there is still something that you can give away to those around you He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go buy food for all this crowd. About five thousand men were there. But said to his disciple, but he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, look at this, and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks. Underline, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Stop there for just a minute. In this beautiful story, it starts off with Jesus looking at the disciples, and over and over again he says, Be men of action. Step up and do something. They identify that there's a problem, and the first thing he says is, You do something about it. Upon further review, they go, we can't there's five to fifteen thousand of them we can't do anything and then jesus says well then have them sit down in groups of about 50 notice this if you don't know how you're going to feed them what the disciples do here is it takes a huge chunk of faith for them to walk through the crowd and have the people sit down in groups of 50 each Not only that, they show up with one sack lunch, five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish that we find out in another gospel showed up because Andrew found a little boy with that as his sack lunch who was willing to share. Jesus then takes the loaves, gives thanks, and then, I love this, he breaks them and multiplies them. A gift given in faith multiplies in the hands of Almighty God. Let me say that again. A gift given in faith multiplies in the hands of Almighty God. And then he says to the disciples, you pass them out. Notice all the action in that verse. He says, you do something about this, even though you don't know what it's going to be. He says, you have them sit down in groups of 50. Let's eat this elephant in smaller bites. And then he comes back and says, and by the way, you give them, you distribute the blessing that I am going to provide for you. What a beautiful picture. If you're the one sitting here wringing your hands and going, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't have enough. What am I going to do? I'm not belittling your situation. I'm just telling you the solution. Peace and joy come when we stop wringing our hands and looking inwardly and we make the decision to look outwardly. I don't have enough. I don't know how it's going to work, but I see someone in need, and maybe just maybe I could help them too. When we begin to look past ourselves to the needs of the world around us, the blessings given in faith multiply in the hands of Almighty God. It begs the question, is it time you honestly looked at how you could help? Is it time you honestly looked at how you could help? I don't know how it works, but when we pour out, our cup is full. I don't know how that works, but when we pour out to others, somehow, some way, it ends up filling our cup at the same time. One last verse, and we'll call it a day today. Flip back over now to Genesis chapter 43, and let's look at verse 14, how this part of the story closes So again, he says, take your brother, go back to that man at once. And then look at this, verse 14. And may God Almighty, underline, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before this man so that he will let your brother... So that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, then I am bereaved. Now, stop right there for just a minute. This is so interesting. The man who has started off playing the blame game at the very beginning of this passage closes with verse 14. Listen to this with a prayer. He starts off by saying, and may God Almighty do this thing for you. I love this. When our world seems completely and totally out of control, what in the world can we do? Number one, we can do something for someone else. Number two, we can give something to someone else. And number three, we can always pray. We can always pray. Even Jacob at the end of this passage finally comes around to it and goes, "Well, I guess God's the one in charge of this whole thing anyway. He's the one who's put my family together in the first place. He didn't bring me this far to fail. He goes, maybe I should pray for my sons as they go out. Maybe I should trust Almighty God, the one that we've given our lives to. Maybe we should trust him to take care of this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is a reminder that not everything clamoring for our attention deserves it. Let me say that again. Prayer is a reminder that not everything clamoring for our attention deserves it. There are some of you that would say, how in the world is prayer that big a deal? (sighs) Scripture tells us that our Father in Heaven knows what we need before we even ask him. You know what that means? That means God doesn't do stuff for you just because you pray for it. When we pray, we become cognizant of what God is doing all around us, and we remember that our world is out of our control, but it is not out of control. That God is the one in charge. That God is the one guiding the ship. We can always pray And prayer is a reminder that some of those things we got so worked up and worried about actually don't matter in the grand scheme of things. That maybe, just maybe, God is up to something. My prayer life grew over time. And I'll never forget, when I was younger, prayer was something we did at meals. I know my parents prayed more often, But I remember praying at mealtime. That was kind of our thing. Every meal that we had, we would pray together. And that's something we carry forth with our staff and with our family as well. But we'd pray at mealtime. But then something happened when I was five years old. When I was five in 1986, that's when the explosion happened um, of the Challenger shuttle. When the Challenger shuttle explosion happened, I was watching it live with my mom in our little living room. And then all of a sudden, when the explosion happened, it was the first time I can ever remember really thinking about death. And as a five-year-old, I looked at my mom and I said, what do we do? What can we do? What do we do for those people? And my mother, in that moment, taught me very powerfully. She said, well, son, there's not much we can do right now, but we can pray for their families. You know what's nuts? For more than a year after that moment, I prayed for the families in the Challenger explosion. I prayed for their families. It was the first time of coming to a realization that this was something that wasn't just something we did at the dinner table. This was something that truly, when we felt out of control, we remembered that God was in control and we petitioned him on behalf of others. Fast forward two years, I got to see prayer in a different light. We had just moved to Lubbock, and my dad was supposed to go into evangelism. He was going from being a preacher in a small West Texas town uh, to uh, being an evangelist that was going to travel all over the country. But he had gotten a call from a church called Indian Avenue Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, and Indian Avenue was asking dad to come and be their pastor The church, during that time, would go from about 150 people uh, that started the church to all of a sudden when Dad was there, there would be thousands six years later, it was crazy. It wasn't because Dad was so great, the Spirit was up to something very, very special. And we were staying at my grandmother's house in Lubbock, Texas. I'll never forget, I'm in the back bedroom and it's about two or three o'clock in the morning, I had woken up and I needed to go to the bathroom. And I get up in the middle of the night And I start to walk into the living room, and all of a sudden, I see in my grandmother's living room, I see my dad on his hands and knees before the Lord, and he's calling out to God, begging him for wisdom and guidance. Should he go into evangelism? Should he hit the road? Or should he stay? And should he pastor this church, Indiana Avenue, where we would see God do some amazing things. They were one of the original partner churches for Waterfront Church as well. Helped us so greatly in the process of planting what's happened here in D.C. And I see my father, I'm seven years old, and I see my father on his hands and knees before Almighty God crying out for wisdom, crying out for vision so he can know what to do. And I remember at that moment going, whoa! It's not just when you feel out of control and you don't know how to help someone. You can also go to God and cry out to in prayer, when you don't know what it is that you're supposed to do, when you don't know what your purpose is, when you're wanting to find out what the future holds for you. When we're in pain and we don't understand it, you can always pray. When the fear seeks to overtake us like a tidal wave, you can always pray. And when you have no clue what's on the other side of the door, when the fear of the unknown is so great, you don't know if it's good, bad, or ugly on the other side of those doors. You can always pray. If you're here today and you'd say, Zach, I feel so out of control, and I don't know that there's anything I can give away. I don't know that there's anyone else I can help. If that's you, hear me clearly. You can still pray. Pray. I said one more verse, but we're going to do two more. You ready? Three more, okay? Save your spot there in Genesis and flip over to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 37, and we'll call it a day. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus saw the power in prayer, even the Son of God, knowing how everything was going to work still carved out time in his schedule to pray. Look at what Jesus says here in Mark chapter excuse me, Look at what happens here in Mark chapter 1 verses 35 through 37. It says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Underline where he prayed. Now Simon and his companions went after went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Now stop right there for just a minute. I start, I look at the end before we go back to the beginning. Peter and the disciples, that's Simon, show up and they go, Jesus, where have you been? There's stuff to do. Where have you been? There are people in need. There are things that we need to take care of. But what was Jesus doing, even knowing that there were all these other things going on? He still found time, get this, very early in the morning to pray. Very early in the morning to go to a solitary place and to focus his minds on the things of heaven. Now listen to me. There are some of you in this video verse, all right, that are watching this, and it has been a long time since you went to bed at a decent hour. Can I give you some advice? Just my two cents. I can tell you from my own coronavirus time, You don't have the same schedule you used to have. In the passage here, start your day with Jesus. Start your day with your minds on things above. And then I'm going to be your parent here, parent pastor for just a minute. Go to bed. Go to bed at a decent hour. Is that a good word? Go to bed at a decent hour, and you would be shocked at how your life would be filled with less darkness. If that, Most of the time that you're awake right now are times when there is no light outside and it's dark. Don't be surprised when you live in a little bit darker mood. It's just the way it works. When it was still dark outside, before the new day dawned, Jesus found a solitary place to pray, to spend time with God and remember that even though the world feels out of control, it's not so stinking bad. And then... The day will wait for you. The disciples show up and they go, everybody's been waiting for you, Jesus. Everybody's been looking for you. And Jesus goes, good, I just spent time with God. Now let's go to work. It begs the final question today. When is the last time you got up early to pray? Not just got up early to get up early, but when's the last time you got up early to pray? When's the last time you truly started your day when it was still dark with the Lord? And some of you would say, well, I've got a different schedule. Don't be legalistic with me. I'm not being legalistic with you. I'm just trying to help you and lead you as a pastor. Get alone with God early in the morning, and it changes your mindset for the entire rest of the day. If you're here today and you feel out of control, or you're watching today and you feel out of control, I want to encourage you there is still something you can do. There's still something you can give. And then above all else, you could always pray. And be reminded that as long as there is breath in your lungs, that the Lord still has work for you to do. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. In fact, wherever you are, just kind of draw a circle around yourself. The most important part of the service is always this time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, but specifically the scripture that we've read. There may be some of you here that would say, Zach, I need you to pray for me. I need to stop looking inwardly to myself, and it's time I started looking at what I could do for someone else, even though my world feels so out of control, with no one looking around. If that's you, And you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would stop looking inwardly and I would begin to see the world with the eyes of Almighty God. Even though I feel out of control, there are still things I could do to help others. Remember that example of Valjean and the priest. Even though it would be very easy for the priest to just dismiss him, he has his own stuff going on. Instead, he sees past himself and he ends up changing a man's life. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, Pray I would look to others before I look to myself. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. I'm going to pray for you, but that simple prayer of your heart is this. God, let me look to others before I look to the interests of myself. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, when you talked about giving things away, I don't have much, but I've got a skill set that I could offer to somebody else. I don't have much, but the Lord did bless me with just a little bit extra in my finances this month. I could find someone to give that to. You could offer it to the church so that we could help others. Maybe you'd say, you know what? I don't have much, but I do have some canned goods. I do have some cleaning supplies in my food pantry. I could share those with some people who truly need it. If that's you, I just wanna pray for you as well you're here and you'd say zach pray for me i need to give to someone else if that's you if you just lift your hand where you are thank you thank you for your courage now here's the deal push pause if that's you you got a chance to exercise your faith right here right now push pause and go take care of this whatever it is that god has called you to do find a way to give it away Find a way to help. Now, just for the record, I don't need you calling me and telling me you got a couch. You want me to come move, all right? This is a situation where if you truly can feel in your spirit, I have something that can be useful for someone. And then pray that the spirit would show you how to give that thing away so that you could help someone else. I can tell you this too. For me, sometimes this happens where I'll realize something needs to be given away and then throughout my day, the Spirit will reveal someone that I need to give that item or give those finances to. The things that we have, the blessings given to us, don't belong to us, they belong to God. If that's you making that commitment, I just want you to again push pause and make sure you get that taken care of. And then, last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, I, I don't have anything I can do for someone else at this point, I, there's nothing that I can give away. If that's you and you'd say, but I can pray, would you pray for me that I would take some time to spend with Almighty God, specifically time early in the morning? When we pray early in the morning, it is like it fills our cup so that we can go throughout the day and not dip into the darkness. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm gonna make the commitment right here, right now that I'm gonna get up early to pray. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now thank you, thank you for your courage if that was you push pause right now and set your alarm set up a time to spend with God in fact, we also have a time where we are praying together as a church on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock on Facebook Live Roswell Smith, Trevor Tinbrink lead it from right here in the sanctuary it's a chance for you to log on online, you can type in your prayer request or type in the prayer requests of those around you and they would love to reach out to those people and pray for them If that's you and you're making that commitment, again, push pause, set your schedule, set your alarm, and then spend time with Almighty God. I appreciate you listening today, guys. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand and finish up two wonderful songs in worship. Let me pray. God, thank you for today and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for this story. In the life of Joseph, there are all these other characters, and we get to see that you are not just working on Joseph's life, but God, you are crafting something for every member of his family in this story. Lord, I thank you so much for the courage of Judah, that he stands up and offers to stand on behalf of their brother Benjamin. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here that is asking for you to help them see beyond themselves to the needs of others, that you would give them what they are seeking today. Lord, I also pray for those who are with open hands saying, God, you have blessed me. Now use it to bless others. I pray that you would use them powerfully. And God, you would multiply their gifts just like you did the five loaves and the two fish. And God, for those who need to get up early and pray, I pray that it would not be out of legalism, but out of a heart filled with wanting to know you and to remember that you are the one in control in an out-of-control world. God, thank you for who you are. Stir our hearts to come to you in prayer. And Lord, just like you were doing with Joseph, I pray that you would knit together amazing testimonies of your greatness. Thank you, God, for who you are. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray.